Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Dr. Peter Pronovost, Chief Clinical Information Officer at University Hospitals. In this segment, Dr. Pronovost talks about how he plans to leverage the same approach he used in reducing catheter infections to improve value across healthcare. The myriad benefits of shifting from reactive and translational care to proactive and relational care and the three major ways in which his team is changing the narrative when it comes to patient care. Because I know that from following what you've done in the past, I know there was so much of the focus on, on patient safety and leveraging the checklist to reduce catheter bloodstream infections. Yeah. So it's funny you said it because I envision the work that I'm doing now is like phase two. So we use checklists to reduce yeah. individual harms like catheter infections mm-hmm. to a great deal of success. Or I would say checklist with a management system because it wasn't just a checklist. And now we're broadening that lens to eliminate defects in value across the continuum of care. And, yeah. and so similar approach that we did before is we tried to define these defects, like not complying with the checklist, make them visible, and then change the health system to make sure we reduce or eliminate them. And, right. you know, that approach, as you read in the article, was pretty wildly successful that, it, you know, really had a, about a 9% reduction in Medicare spend from year to year with very yeah. clear reductions in defects that drove that, like more people going home rather than to SNF or lower readmissions. Um, so it's quite hopeful that this approach, just like it worked for Clabsy, is a very valid approach to work for improving value in healthcare. Yeah, and kind of along those lines, you said that that was almost like a progression, but I wanted to, to ask about what made you so interested in this area of really looking at these, these defects in value and whether it was um, a particular incident or just uh, seeing where things were headed in healthcare. Yeah, that is more seeing where things are headed. I mean, but there were a couple yeah. instances that, that I'll, you know, get into. You know, there was one event where there was a woman who was an elderly black woman who was admitted with heart failure like 13 times or 14 times and went to the ED 13 times. And every one of those readmissions under the old way of being paid for value counted in the win column, right? (laughs) The hospital looked as if its beds were full. And every time she showed up, she got great transactional care. The part worked like it was supposed to. The ED did their job. The hospital doctors did their job. The cardiologists did their job. But that wasn't good enough because we don't need reactive and transactional care. We need proactive and relational care because what we missed that so many of her readmissions were driven by her undiagnosed anxiety that you know when she got short of breath, she got anxious and she came back in. And she missed appointments because her daughter had died of a substance overdose and she was caring for her disabled granddaughter and didn't have respite care to to leave her and didn't have transportation. So she missed appointments, right? And she ended up costing like $1.4 million. And as you can know, had, I think she's even like in bankruptcy. Healthcare expenditures is like the number one reason for personal bankruptcy. And, you know, fast forward now to the system we built of another patient who is the same age with heart failure, but wasn't admitted at all because we built a machine learning algorithm that sends a trigger. If she went three months without seeing her doctor, we automatically outreach to her and her primary care doctor to get her into care. 
When she got into care, she was cared for in an advanced primary care practice that had a social worker who diagnosed and treated her anxiety, had a pharmacist to adjust her medicines, had a nurse to help her manage her heart failure. And rather than costing $1.4 million, she cost like $6,500 and just right, much right. less suffering. Yeah. And so I started thinking like, okay, we need, yes, the checklist for quality are really important, but we also have to focus on every component of value, meaning quality of care, the experience patients have, and the cost of care. And what was novel about our view of costing is too often we look at the cost of the part, but if the people who pay healthcare bills, that is any payer of healthcare, or what you and I look like at the end of the year is what's our annual healthcare expenditure, right? What's the healthcare budget that I'm spending? And so we started looking at, as you saw in that paper, what's our annual expenditure and how do we actually bend that curve? Because once you start right. thinking about the annual cost, you almost automatically have to think about caring across the continuum of care and being relational, not just, you know, is this one drug more expensive than another drug, but you're substituting a less effective drug for a more effective one that over the long run, it may not really may be costing you more money. So, so it, you know, it's really neat because these pieces came together of what we learned about from using the checklist for infection the management system that you need to couple with that to really drive improvements and then expanding the lenses to include value and to include care across the whole continuum. Right. There's a lot there and then so much about this that's really interesting. And it seems like kind of at the core of this is the idea that there's a need for a different narrative and getting away from how we define success getting away from the fee-for-service. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second, because one of the papers that we published about the infection work was with some sociologists, and the title of the paper was Explaining Michigan, you know, the first pilot that we did, and why did it work? And what we demonstrated is, though the checklist is important, what was the main driver of getting to zero was that when clinicians told a new story, that is, they used to say, oh, these infections are inevitable, and I'm just a fill-in-the-blank, I'm just a nurse, I'm just a whatever. And so they didn't make any improvements. When they changed the narrative, they said, no, no, these infections are preventable, and I'm capable of doing something about it. They figured it out, and they got to zero, right? They didn't need someone to give them the checklist. They were smart enough to make their own checklist or whatever, use it and adopt it. But if you didn't change that narrative, that's why I literally made this checklist of making these defects in value um, explicit and calling them out because with, with that, we can now say, okay, now we need a new narrative that these defects are preventable. And indeed, we've been working through our organization to really change three new narratives or, or you know, an overriding narrative is that success is keeping people healthy at home rather than healing in hospital. Right, because too often people think if your hospitals fail, you're doing a good job. But yeah. if most of the people don't need to be there, you're not helping your communities at all. And right. so the narratives that we've been driving is, um, a matter of fact, I just did this talk this morning to a bunch of clinicians. Stop believing that defects are inevitable. Start believing they're preventable. Mm. Second narrative is stop believing that value is someone else's responsibility and start believing it's all of ours every one of us. Third narrative is stop believing that economic incentives alone are going to solve the problem. 
and start believing that we need to redesign the healthcare system so that we evolve from it being reactive and transactional to being proactive and relational. When you talk about that redesign, um, that's not a small thing and, and really involves so much. And, you know, that's where frameworks come in. But also, I imagine exactly an right. element of really going about change the right way. But can you talk a bit about the framework? Yeah, so, so what we do is when we identify some of these defects in value, like going to a skilled nursing facility rather than going home, we, you know, we use this framework of our management system that says declare your goals, roles, and responsibilities. So our goal was 80% of people going home rather than going to a skilled nursing facility. The roles was the care transitional leaders and the, were the main people to drive that. The second is to create an enabling infrastructure. So do we have feedback of, or have we defined measures of that, like what percent are going home and do the staff actually get feedback on that? Uh, have we defined the key behaviors of what we're trying to change and standardizing this? So for example, when we first looked at who decided where people go, what we found is that it was almost always the physical therapist who just used their hunch. There was no standard assessment tool. And then there were some factors that were physical therapy, some factors that were the patient's mental status. So if they were dementia or capable of being home, and there were some that if the services that they need was home care capable of doing, but none of that was standardized. And if you can believe this, it was so ironic the vast majority of the reasons where somebody said, oh, home care isn't capable of doing that, but home care was never at the table as part of that discussion for whatever reason, just historically, they were outside the hospital. So right. people were making statements about home care was capable of without them even being there. But we give ICU level of care at home now so they can do virtually anything. So well, what did we do? Well, we changed and standardized the process. So physical therapy, instead of saying where the patient go, now it just says how much physical therapy they need. And that could, if that could be delivered in the home, which most often it could, great. If not, where else? The people looking at mental status, we had a standard way of looking at that because many people who came in with dementia, obviously they're going to leave with dementia, but they would be sent yeah. to SNF because they have dementia, right? But they were living at home. And then third is we put home care at the table. But most importantly, we changed the narrative to say the default is home, right? Home is where people should go. And if you send them anywhere than home, you need a justification, an explicit reason to justify it. Right, right. Because with COVID, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, obviously home is better than going to sniff because it's, you're in your own house, it's lower complications, it's much cheaper. With COVID, it's literally a matter of life and death. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.